0: I'm Scott Abraham from ABC7 in Washington DC. You know who it is? Travis Thomas Experience. This is Eric at home of Yahoo Sports.
1: This is Mitch Tischler. This is Al Galdi and you're listening to the Big Douglas Show.
2: All right, you're checking out the Big Douglas Show. Make sure to subscribe, like and hit the notification buttons down there. Today we got rapper Big Poo is in the co-host show. Big Pooh, what's happening.
1: Nothing much, nothing much. is ready to get into some of this Senior Bowl
2: talk. Longtime friend of the show, Nate Coleman's with us today. Nate, what's happening?
3: Gentlemen, thank you for having me on. I am ready to talk Senior Bowl.
2: And our special guest today from Roto World is Thor Nystrom. Thor, thanks
0: for giving us some time today. Thanks for having me, guys. Appreciate it.
2: Yeah, Thor, I've been a big fan of yours for a, a while, keeping up with the stuff that you do. Uh, I assume since it's gray and cloudy behind you that you are not down at the senior bowl this week. Do you generally go to the senior bowl week?
0: You know, I actually have never been to the senior bowl. I've been to the combine, uh, but never the senior bowl. This was going to be my first year, but uh, with the COVID um, we didn't end up going down this year. So um, hopefully, hopefully next year, this stuff's cleared up, you know, just a wonky year with all that stuff.
2: Or when do you usually start breaking down the players for the, for the upcoming year? How long of a process is that?
0: Um, I would say for me, it's, it's three to five years. If I could flip and show you guys my screen, you would see a, a database that has thousands of players in it. Um, and I got all kinds of data on all of them. So, you know, I've been, you know, for my usual job, uh, one difference for me with some of the other NFL draft guys is I I cover college football when it's, you know, when it's football season. So, I cover these kids from the time they get recruited on throughout their careers. You know, and some of these kids, I've seen them transfer once. Some of them I've seen transfer multiple times. Um, so just following them through their careers. I have all their PFF data, um, you know, and I, I know a lot of their trials and tribulations. So I've been following them for a while.
1: That's awesome. Um, When you're when you're Thor, when you're um, keeping track of these guys, you know, everybody has their own system, their own process, how they rate. Rank, rate players, et cetera. Like, can you shine a little lighter on your process?
0: Sure. It's a great question. Um, you know, there's some people, you know, in, in the scouting community or in the, you know, the the writing scouting community that are more old school with that, you know, just like scouts where it's like the eye, eye test, you know, and those are like the grind film kind of guys. And they go mostly off what they're seeing in, you know, generally what is a three to four game, sometimes five game sample size, you know, of cutups when they're watching these games. Other guys are highly analytically driven, um, you know, the data that and not just I'm not just talking stats. I'm talking about breaking down uh, combined data that that gives us an insight into, you know, generally this is the type of player that, it, you know, or type of athletic outcome that has succeeded going into the NFL, et cetera, and trying to sort of, um uh, decrease your variance on picks and prospects. You know, by by getting that sort of data, um, I would say that I'm probably about in the middle of those two camps. Um, I watch a ton of football uh, for my job. I also break it down. You know, once we get into January, outside of the season, start breaking down the draft prospects again. Um, and I I love the data as well. That's why I keep the database. Um, you know, l- like I said, I, I add all like the PFF grades. Um, I I add a bunch of the other data I'm going to have by the end of it, I'll have all their spark scores and uh, adjusted spark scores and RAS scores and, you know, all their different measurements and wingspans and all the 40 yard dash and all sort of stuff. So um, for me, it's more of a holistic thing, understanding uh, both sides of it, um, understanding also that sometimes your own eyes can deceive you. um, And not only that, but, um, you know when you're watching a three or four game sample on a kid, cause no one has the time, even someone who has a job like me, no one's got a time to go through 1500 kids and watch a 24 game catalog on every single one. So you're getting, you know, when you're, when you're going through and watching the kids, you're getting a smaller sample size on what is a smaller player pool anyway. So finding extra info to augment your understanding of these players and also understand even the ones that you're watching more has happened in their career and in their life than, than you're seeing right there. So I, I just feel like it's incumbent upon, you know, the individual evaluator to weigh as much information as humanly possible when they're sort of like stacking a rankings board or whatever.
1: Gotcha. Um, well, follow up question. Uh, when you're doing the three to five game sample size, are you picking the toughest games, like their toughest opponents, um, for that sample?
0: Yeah. So sometimes you get a choice. You know, like the, um, you know, the Alabama your Clemson's, your Auburn's, your, your big time schools. You'll get a choice because the the catalog, you know, every game was televised, and so invariably every one of those games will be available. And a lot of times a cut up of each individual player on those schools is available. Um, Sometimes when you're breaking down a kid from, you know, UL Monroe or Texas State or something like that, um, you don't get as much of an option but the the good thing with that is typically the the games that were televised that we do have access to their tape cuz someone someone like me i don't have access to like the all 20 like i i i wish i had like you know access to like you know the all 22 omega database you know that's like sort of mythical and everyone's had like you know coaches have or whatever Um, but we don't, you know, we just sort of have to scrounge around for what's available on the internet. And a lot of times it's just cut up of, of what the telecast was. So, but you know, the smaller school kids, a good thing is generally the stuff that's available is against their better competition. Um, you know, you're not going to, you're not going to have a a UO Monroe against their, their FCS opponent game. You know, that's not going to be televised anyway. So, um, that's how I do it. But yeah, to, you know, to your point, like, you know, if it's a, um, You know, if it's like Deontay Brown or like, you know, an Alabama offensive lineman that I'm breaking down, um, you know, when I'm looking through the games, you know, last season, I'm going to be thinking about the best interior defensive lineman that they played all year. You know, I want to see him against the best competition for sure.
3: But you don't have all 22 of Quinn Myers for Quinn Miners for like four years. (laughs)
0: yeah it's i'm gonna be lucky to to get what i can on that kid um i'm I'm gonna have to hit up my buddy jim nagy to to give me some tape on that kid
3: yeah
2: so let's get into prospects that um that washington could be looking at because that's that's mostly what we're concerned about here we we're at 19 are there positions thor that you just keep off the table for those first round picks
0: how do you mean by that
2: Well, like some people say, taking safety in the first half is is, there's no point in it or drafting running back. You know, nobody wants to draft a running back in the first
0: round. Just
2: curious as the as the league shifts, if there's certain positions that you don't even consider taking in the first round at this point.
0: Yeah, just because the analytical bent, I I have some of those biases, I would say. But I, I would also say that there's exceptions to every rule. Um, you know, like, obviously, um, you know, tight end had been sort of a depreciated position as well in the draft recently. And I was the first guy banging the drum for TJ Hawkinson to be a top 10 pick just for instance, um, I, like I, I I do think that there's prospects that sort of break the mold even for their positions in terms of the value you can get back out of them. But like I said, I, you know, like even the Clyde Edwards Hilaire pick, I was like, yeah, you know, I, I probably would have taken a different player there. But
3: You can make a good surprised? argument that this year there's a chance Najee Harris could go in the first round and maybe even ETN. I mean, it probably won't happen, but I would expect one running back to potentially go off the board and maybe Najee Harris to the Steelers, you know, with their pick.
0: Yeah. I mean, you definitely have some high upside running backs here and some running backs that can do a couple different things. Um, Harris would be a great fit for the Steelers. I mean, it just seems like it's a, you know a match made in heaven it's exactly what yeah. they need it you know going back years he's he's the kind of running back that they love only it's sort of the next evolution of that you know it's he he's getting comped a lot to Matt Forte I I like him a, he he's a little bit sexier than Matt Forte so I I feel like that that does him a little bit of an injustice um but you know that a lot of the same stuff is there where you're talking like a a bigger, more physical back who he has, he's an awesome receiver, has a huge catch radius. You throw it anywhere around him. He's going to come down with the ball and he's, extremely difficult to tackle his, his broken tackle numbers, especially in space and college were ridiculous. So, yeah, I mean, he definitely has a shot because of the different things that he can add uh, to an offense. He is one of those guys that potentially like Edward Solaire because of the receiving contributions could sort of break that first round barrier for sure. And then, you know, d- just to your point of, of ETN, um, you know, everyone wanted him to, to declare, uh, before last season. And, you know, right. he didn't, um, you know, into the last class and he actually had a down running year this year because Clemson had like his rushing stats weren't quite as good. Clemson had a few offensive linemen that left and obviously they're, they they did not play as many games. Um, but the one cool thing has been to see his evolution as a receiver the last couple years, like earlier in his career, he, he sucked at being a receiver. It's not just that he was like, you know, raw, like he was not a good receiver and admittedly so he told reporters he wasn't comfortable at it. You know, they'd send him out on routes and it was like, you know, he had two left thumbs and two left feet like um, he just wasn't good at it. And he was totally honest with reporters like that that was, a you know, the area of the of his game that he had to focus in on and try to improve. And, you know, I think a big part of the reason why he came back was he told Clemson's coaches, like, I want to be used like an NFL running back in the passing game. And that part of his game just took a huge uh, step forward, huge, huge step forward. And to me, um you know even though his rushing stats were down he has potentially given himself a shot to your point i you know i'm i'm not i don't think that it will happen but i i think he's given him, himself a shot to get taken in the first round because of um how good he's gotten in the receiving game to me he would not have had a shot to go in the first round when you're talking about a guy that that doesn't catch passes um but now now he's got the shot
1: um i know that mac jones at the senior bowl is the rave because he's Mac Jones and played for Alabama. Um, but we also had another name pop up this week for us novices, uh, Jamie Newton. Um, most of us haven't seen him play. Uh, he didn't play this year. What, what is the excitement about Newman and where do you kind of see his, you know, him falling or, or going in the draft? I mean, he, he goes from, a person nobody has really heard of, obviously wasn't discussing him, you know, among the top quarterbacks this year, but where do you guys see him kind of falling in the drafts uh, after his senior bowl week?
0: Yeah, he's a, he's a really interesting prospect. And, you know, this year for the last year, uh, last year's draft was an unprecedented draft um, because the pre-draft process was disrupted so much. This year is going to be an even more of an unprecedented draft because The most important piece of information that prospects give to their prospective future employers during this draft process is their last season of tape. And a lot of these guys, to your point about Newman, Newman was an opt-out. Trey Lance only played one game. We had several other opt-outs. We had several guys that played two games, three games. Um, So a lot of these guys, they're the most important thing that you would typically look at as part of their evaluation. You either have a partial or you have none at all. Um, and Newman's super interesting. I remember when he first came in, I think it was when he was a fr- like the end of his freshman year might've been as his, his second season at Wake Forest. But when he came in, um, he immediately sort of flashed for um, their offense, not as sort of a star player, but a, a guy, you know, was sort of frisky and was doing things. And I immediately thought that guy plays a lot like David Garrard. And I, I think I even mm. tweeted it like at the time, this is a couple years ago. Um, and it's funny looking around now because I've seen him getting comp to David Garrard um, during the draft process. And I, I always just, he, he has that same sort of build. He has that same sort of game. Um, you know, he's w- what's interesting about him is he's a dual threat kid who's built really big. And so like, you know, especially, I mean, I think, all, all football fans just kind of like that guy in general, especially when they can un- uncork the deep ball, because that's the other like big part of his game. Although the, the caveat on that was Newman was always much better when Sage Sherratt was on the field, you know, their monster outside receiver. And then when he was out, um, Newman wasn't quite as good. But um, Newman is very, very good down the field. He has good accuracy downfield and he's got it. He's got a good arm. Um, and then you're talking about a really big, well-built fortified kid who can get out of the pocket and, and run. And like, as a Vikings fan, um, I don't think, uh, Newman's arm is this good, but we had a guy that was like this for a couple of years and was so fun to watch Dante Culpepper. Um, so I, I just have a, a natural, uh, sort of inkling for, for players like that. Um, I, I think the things that concern you are, he opted out last year and he wasn't super experienced to begin with. He also, um he he's there's inexperience there but there's also a rawness to his game um in the pocket number one um hurrying through his reads stuff like that just not being comfortable about what's going on like um you know not not sort of moving with his environment or manipulating the pocket stuff like just sort of like things that you learn as you go on and with coaching and stuff like that but also with the system that he was playing in um there's a lot of um you know, a lot of BS that goes on with the, the Wake Forest offense. It's really fun to watch, but it's, it's just a super college ACC kind of offense where it runs at, you know, breakneck tempo. And then they're doing a lot of RPO, RPO, run back to the line, RPO, you know, handoff. And now we're going to, you know, chuck it deep to Sage Surratt. And Newman was just awesome in that system, but it's not translatable. You're not going to try to run 90 plays a game in the NFL with this system, and then you just have this one receiver, you know, who's 6'5", that you throw jump balls to against 5'10 ACC receivers. They had done work that way. If it was, he would be he would be a, a top-five pick. Um, but because of these other uh, questions to his game, um, you're talking about more of the sort of boomer-bust type uh, proposition where he, he has – um, you know, certainly some intriguing uh, tools, but then he has these other things that definitely hint at uh, a higher bus profile. So for me, um, he's a day two guy um, because the the ceiling's high enough that it warrants some sort of uh, draft uh, capital in the investment. He's done enough things in college and in, in a power five uh, conference, I would have loved to have seen him play this year. You know, you, it's hard to criticize a kid for opting out. That's a personal decision, but he, uh, was sort of airmailed into a, or he, I mean, he created it for himself, but it was a perfect situation at Georgia. Um, they, Georgia started Stetson Bennett, who is just, I mean, he's a prototypical, like four string quarterback that all these, you know, blue blood programs have like an, or like in baseball, you consider him like an organizational soldier in the minor leagues, never should have seen the field because Jamie Newman was supposed to be their starting quarterback. And again, it just would have been a great uh, situation. You know, they had George Pickens and all these, you know, awesome receivers outside. Um, and, you know, very deep at running back, Samir white and all these different dudes. Um, but we didn't get to see him this year in that system um, that also we, we would have see, been able to see him throw more in the intermediate range and stuff like that so um there's a lot of question marks with jamie newman but if it gets into the third round and my team just you know i i have a team with you know that ends up with one of the older starters or whatever and i'm gonna need a starter in a couple years um and i need a guy to groom i'm definitely going to use my third round pick on jamie newman because the ceiling at that point is going to justify it that you know at that point there's going to be no other quarterback that has the ceiling that he does i'm obviously biased but we were excited
2: to get newman down and in Athens, And when he opted out to your point, Thor, you, you'd never knock a man for making a, a personal decision, but his stock needed that year. I mean, you saw what JT Daniels did when he finally got healthy. I think they assumed that he'd do something similar. Um, and to your point, it was tough to watch Stetson, Stetson Bennett. Um,
3: yeah, I will say once uh, Desmond Ritter came back to Cincinnati, he kind of left a little bit of a gap or a void in that QB class. And I think Newman can kind of like, fill that gap in a way because he could be that quarterback six or seven that's right there with right maybe right after Kyle Trask, something like that, because he is one of the only dual threat quarterbacks available that still has upside that you would consider in day two. So I, I like him a not a lot, but he was kind of volatile, just like he was during his career. He was pretty volatile at the senior bowl from from what I read. So he, he's, he's intriguing for sure, though.
0: Yeah. And just to your point, you know, talking about, obviously you have the big five at quarterback, no one's going to break that at this point, but you know, talking about the guys that are in contention for sort of that, you know, next, whether you call it the second tier or the third tier, you know, six, seven, eight, nine, whatever, there's not a ton of guys that super duper excite you, you know, outside of that top five, you know, outside of Newman. So it's, it's not something to scoff at. I mean, like I, I don't like Sam Ellinger. I don't think he's an NFL quarterback. I think Kellen Mond is super limited. Um, I, I don't see him becoming much in the NFL. I'm intrigued by Shane Bouchelle, but intrigued in sort of like a, a fifth round, sixth round flyer kind of a way. Um, Davis Mills has some, um, some tools, but he's the same sort of a thing. He's a, he's a midday three flyer kind of a kid. So it's like, you know, to your point, there's there's just not a lot of guys after the top five. So I, I do think Newman's going to be going on on day two because, you know, once those those five guys go, you know, whether it's in the first round or whether one of them drops to the top of the second. But at that point, um, th- there's going to be teams that still need a quarterback and they're going to be like, oh, shit, you know, there's all the quarterbacks are gone. Um, One of them is going to have to make a play for a guy like Newman. I don't see another guy that you can make an argument has. The upside of him, Kellen Mond most certainly doesn't. Um, Sam Ellinger most certainly doesn't. Um, Bouchelle flashes it with the arm sometimes, um, but you know he he's got his warts as a prospect as well. Um, and N- Newman's tools are better than his, so yeah, I think I think so I'm with the under. Gra-
2: how do you grade a guy like Jones who has all those weapons around him and and obviously won't be able to play with that kind of supporting cast at the next level? How do you how do you make sure to not knock a guy for the for the players that he has but at the same time you know trying to study the guy
0: Yeah it's it it's it's tough um with, with that, you know, I mean, it was similar with Tua. it it's been similar with a lot of these Alabama quarterbacks, you know, and Jalen Hurts, you know, in the same way going to Oklahoma. Um, and, you know, with Jones, it's, it's especially interesting because, you know, he's a guy that on his own doesn't have, he's not a tremendously gifted, you know, singular talent on his own, right. He doesn't offer much mobility. Um, he doesn't have a howitzer for an arm. Um, and so he is a guy who would naturally be elevated by an elite supporting, uh, system. He 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 just is, you know. So it turns out he was sort of the perfect quarterback for that system. But yeah, you project him to the NFL. You you don't want a quarterback who needs to be elevated by his supporting uh, a cast. That's sort of the definition of a replaceable NFL quarterback um so yeah I mean it's it it, it's it's going to be interesting um but yeah I mean as as far as Mac Jones I'm a little I I think you know just in terms of with other people I think I'd probably be a little bit lower on him I I think the things that he's you saw that he was really good at is you know short to intermediate accuracy you know timing placement touch etc um but in that sort of area um you know very good timing stuff like that and he also had good uh really good um Uh, numbers under pressure although sometimes um you know there would be the thing where he would like wait until the last second and then he would just sort of loft it up because he knew like Najee harris had had sort of snuck out and then Najee harris would get a free 30 yards or you know they would have that stuff with like the tight end would you know start blocking and then he'd he'd trail off and then he'd be wide open so but i'm i'm sort of nitpicking him a little bit but he is he is good under pressure in in general but yeah i mean for me, there's, you know, again, he's not very athletic, and he has sort of a mediocre arm, um, and and so, you know, as far as like using a, a, you know, a mid first round, I just wouldn't use a first round pick
1: on a guy like that. Uh, Nate, let's let's talk about the the, the big uglies. Uh, I'm about finding diamonds in the rough on the on the offensive line, and I'm pretty sure the Senior Bowl has more than a few uh, diamonds in the rough. Uh, I I, I'm under the belief you can never have too many good offensive linemen or at least developing ones. Uh, Can you name, can you give us one or two uh, offensive linemen in the senior bowl or down there for senior bowl week uh, that you saw that really flash?
3: Yeah. So, I mean, the star of the senior bowl and (laughs) There's not enough superlatives to talk about this guy, but Quinn Miners out of Wisconsin Whitewater. If you don't know Wisconsin Whitewater, if you've never heard of it, I, I never heard of it until going to the senior bowl and, and watching it all. But I mean, this dude is just nasty. He was projected to be a six or seventh round uh, draft pick, like coming into this. And a lot of scouts had him as undrafted apparently, but he impressed scouts the all three days of practice Uh, A lot of people are saying he's a day two pick now could go like somewhere in the third round, but he actually uh, broke part of his hand during practice and it was his right hand, which, you know, he, he was playing as a center. So he uses that to snap the ball. Um, so, but apparently he's still going to try to play in the senior ball on Saturday, but this dude is just gritty. He doesn't really look like an athlete. When you look at them, he's got a big old beer gut, which I think a lot of people will like, he's kind of like your everyman, but I, I was reading about him that he he actually became a lot more technically savvy because he went to a few of those old lineman camps and really refined his craft and became more of a technician in the offseason, but I mean, this guy is, is just skyrocketing up the board. And I think he, he's the talk of the town as far as offensive linemen go. And you could see him go sometime in in round three. And he could go as a center or a guard. Um, but for Washington, I mean, people talk about Washington like we have our offensive line locked down, but off- offensive tackle is still a need just because Lucas had one good season. It doesn't mean he's your future or anything like that. You still need to be looking for depth and frontline starters. So that's something to consider. And, you know, you also have you don't know what's going to happen with Brandon Shura so guard could be a big need as well so definitely something to look at but yeah uh Quinn Miners definitely uh, stu- stood out for me and another guy I really liked is uh out of uh what was it East Carolina uh, Deontay Smith Deontay Smith uh he was he had the longest arms there at the senior bowl and he just stood out every day in practice or a bunch of positive notes about him and no one really had anything bad to say about him and you never know what those small school de- guys until they get out there competing with. Uh, you know, guys from bigger schools, but he really held his own, and I think he did a lot for his draft stock. I could see him going on day two as well.
2: Thor, when we're looking at 19 there, um, I know that uh, the team is going to be interested in quarterback this year. Uh, Do you package those picks to go out and get a guy that's already proven himself in the league, or are there some quarterbacks in this draft that you'd be willing to package picks together to move up for
0: uh, if it was me, I, I would be trying to draft a quarterback um, if I was in, in Washington situation. I, I don't, you know, like some of these price tags that have been bandied about for, for some, like I, I saw the, the price tag on Watson appears to be um, three first round picks plus a couple young studs. I, I just don't know why you would pay that if, if you have a franchise that has a Swiss cheese roster. It's, it's prohibitive. It, football is a 22 man game, you know, you, you, well, it's more than that, but you, you're going to have to surround him with something. The The way to win in the NFL is to find a rookie stud quarterback that you don't have to pay much in the salary cap and then augment him with, you know, with talent around him. And then you pay the other positions in free agency. This is a tried and true formula. Absolutely not what I trade those picks for a veteran quarterback. You're going to screw over your, your salary cap for years. I um, mean, you're going to just be playing a losing game. Um, you, you just got to keep trying to find that quarterback in the draft, in my opinion.
2: Is Devontae Smith wide receiver number one?
0: I haven't made that decision yet, um, but man, did he make a compelling case this year? Um, yeah, it's probably him against Jamar Chase, um, but yeah, he's 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 really close, and he's like. Uh, you know, I don't know if you guys like in middle school, you have those trapper keepers where it's like the magic guy and you put it in front and then you like moved it out and it like changed the, you know, the thing you were looking at and sort of trick. Like it's kind of like Devonte Smith when you're watching him on, on, you know, you're just watching him. Like he, he, he should not be as good as he is. Like he, he's just like consistently beating guys that are bigger and faster than him just over and over and over again. And eventually you just have to throw up your hands and say, that's, that's the way it is. Um, I mean, he just he has a way of playing that makes bigger guys smaller and faster guys slower. Um, you know, he can erase their angles and he can, you know, he can he can put their their feet in quicksand. You know, he, he makes their he just makes their movements slower. He makes them question themselves even when they're covering him, et cetera. So, yeah, you know, him against Chase is is an interesting one because Chase You know, I mean, mean, he was the, you know, obviously the consensus wide receiver number one, but it's not like he's a a prospect that's like, you know, doesn't have any questions whatsoever. You know, he's not going to be an athletic, you know, super freak marvel. So it's not like I think that, you know, his sort of hold on wide receiver one is unimpeachable. They're two extremely, extremely different kinds of wide receivers. So really the answer probably comes to what does your specific offense need? because they're both sort of elite just at their sort of different ends of spectrum of what they do. Um, but yeah, you know, I, I still got to parse it out individually because of course when you make rankings, you're not doing it with a specific franchise or a specific offensive schema. You don't have guys on your roster already. You just have to sort of make it in this weird vacuum, you know, where, where everything else is equal, which isn't really reality, but you know, you sort of have to pretend. Uh,
1: Nate, one of the areas Washington the Washington football team desperately needs to improve in his linebacker. Um, I, I can assume they're not going linebacker with the first round pick. Uh, who do you see on day two that Washington can target that uh, imp- help improve the depth and the front line of of the linebacking core?
0: I think some people might say Dylan Moses here if he falls, but I'm sort of scared of Dylan Moses now. Dylan Moses had had his injury and then he was just awful this year. He was not good. Uh, They won the title, but Alabama had all kinds of issues on defense. And a lot of them, to me, point back at Dylan Moses and some they had really shoddy safety play as well. Um, but the, a lot of the shoddy linebacker play goes back to Dylan Moses. And I'm not really sure what his deal is. He was actually a little bit better in coverage this year, but, um, against the run and as a pass rusher, he was noticeably down from what he was earlier in his career. So I, just for me, I would probably shy off a guy like that. Um, Chas Surratt is a guy that I like. He's super smart. You know, the kid from UNC, um, he used to be a quarterback, you know, and he sort of plays linebacker like that. Um, he sort of, you know, has, has an understanding of what the offense is trying to do and, and, and sort of has an understanding of, you know, what he can do to go about stopping that, et cetera. Um, so I, I just sort of like the way he plays the game. Um, that'd be another guy. I don't think, I, I'm not sure where people see Nick Bolton going right now. Um, but maybe they see him as a first rounder, but if he was a guy that made it into the second round, um, that would be a guy I'd probably be interested in too. Um, He just makes a shit ton of tackles. Um, He's really instinctual. I I really like instinctual defensive players. And even though he's not going to, he's not going to test as like, you know, some sort of athletic God or whatever, but he's not unathletic either. Um, He just has some high end speed limitations, but for the kind of player he is, he should be fine. Um, you know, just don't put him on islands in coverage against, you know, receivers or, you know, elite move tight ends and, and he's going to be fine. So um, those are a couple guys.
3: Yeah, I would say with linebacker, times some teams philosophically refuse to draft off ball linebacker in the first round. And I kind of understand why, um, unless you have like a can't-missed prospect, like a lot of people say Micah Parsons is that this year. But linebacker is definitely high on the totem pole of needs for Washington. Uh, You heard Ron Rivera talk a lot about needing a quarterback of the defense, and he sees that in a linebacker. He's probably looking for the next Luke Kuechly. But I think with this class, it's a really deep class. So I, I don't think there's any need to reach on a linebacker at pick 19. Now, maybe if you're trading back in round one and going to the end of round one, then you can look at someone like Bolton or or, or another linebacker like that, but there's a lot of depth in this class there. I mean, you have, you have Bolton, you have Collins, you have Surratt, Moses, there's a lot of them. And then you talked about Jock too. There, there's quite a few that, that are still good on day two, day three, and you can still get production from those guys. I mean, people talk about linebacker being such a huge, huge need for Washington, but I mean, their defense was great this year and we didn't have that good a linebacker play. So is it that big of a difference? I'll tell you a big need that no one is talking about with Washington is cornerback. I mean, if, if Darby is out, Darby's only a one-year player, so he's a free agent now. So we need to either re-sign him or find someone else. And there's a good chance at pick 19, you could be looking at the cornerback t- or cornerback three there. So, I mean, that's something to consider that no one's really talking about.
2: Or how do you like the way that Leatherwood and Darisol stack up, which, who do you, who do you give the nod to there? Cause that's, that's another option. Washington could look at at 19.
0: I like Dariusaw. Um, I, I really liked watching Virginia tech this year. Uh, Cause they were just mauling people.
2: His stock is soaring,
0: right? Yeah. 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 He he's a fun player to watch. And like, there's a big difference between him and him, him and, and Leatherwood in terms of like when they came in, Dariusaw he didn't get anything handed to him. He was not a, like a big time recruit or nothing like that. Um, but he ended up starting at Virginia tech as a true freshman and anyway. Um, and was a stud, you know, sort of coming up. Um, And, you know, he's just like a mauling kind of tackle. And they had a, um, you know, I went to Kansas for undergraduate and we had this backup running back named Khalil Herbert who played behind Puka Williams. And then Khalil Herbert transfers to Virginia Tech and all of a sudden turns into this stud back because he's running behind this mauling offensive line. Khalil Herbert's like this, like little bowling ball kind of a, a runner. And uh, But he, he got playing behind this offensive line, and, and he was just, you know, he, he had room to run, you know, all over the place. So um, I, I, I prefer him. Leatherwood still has some he, – he's got some uh, quirks to his game that I'm not sure he's ever going to uh, completely fix. I, I think he, he's a flawed prospect who might just be a flawed player. It doesn't mean that he can't start in the NFL, but um, I just think uh, he, he might just have sort of a glass ceiling on, on who he is.
1: Uh, Nate, can you give us some names of uh, another trouble spot on a vaulted Washington defense, Uh, free safety? Um, It seems we've been having problems at safety since the late Sean Taylor passed. Um, Can you give us some names there that, that Washington fans should definitely keep an eye out for?
3: Yeah. So they're calling Richie Grant, Richie Rich um, at the senior bowl. I guess he's the biggest defensive standout there. And going into the senior bowl, he was kind of looking like maybe he could go on day two, but this guy had like three picks in practice. He's been buzzing. Just everyone's been talking about him all three days here. So that, and he's, uh, he's actually playing out of a smaller school in uh, in South Florida. So it's kind of kind of surprising there, but uh, Richie Grant's been a guy who stands out. I could see him going in the top 50 picks, maybe around uh, two. And that's some something Washington would be interested in. But I don't think safety is like top heavy this year. But on day two, there's like three or four really excellent prospects that they're going to be looking at. Because you don't know, you don't know what you have in Jeremy Reeves. Like, I understand he played good for a few games, but it's a really small sample to go off of. And curl is more of your uh, box safety. So they definitely need to get some depth there and get some frontline talent. So uh, obviously, uh, Richie Grant someone they're going to be looking at.
2: Thor, how does uh, Kyle Pitts stand up to some of the uh, tight ends that we've seen go early in the last couple of years?
0: I, I just think he's different um than those kids. Like Hawkinson is the best prospect of them, but Hawkinson was, you know, more sort of your prototypical inline guy that did both things. Um and Hawkinson was a stud blocker. Whereas um Pitts is just like he's just like a, a supernova elite jumbo receiver kind of a guy. You know, he 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 sort of does not fit into your traditional box kind of a thing. Um but he's gonna improve your passing offense so much that He's going to, I think he deserves uh, potentially to be taken in the top 10 picks as well, even though he's not going to bring the same blocking facet to your team.
3: And something about him, too, is like people will be like, oh, he's kind of like Evan Ingram. He plays out in the slot a lot. Well, he doesn't really play out in the slot that much at Florida. He played in line as a blocker most of the time, and he, he was fine as a blocker. He's not going to blow your socks away. I mean, Hawkinson is definitely a better blocker, but he's adequate at blocking enough where he can get the job done. But, I mean, at, if he was just a receiver, not even a tight end, if he was a receiver, I'd probably have him ranked in the top five still just as a receiver. That's how good he is. So, I mean, you're talking about like a once-in-a-lifetime prospect for a tight end. I mean, it doesn't happen that much, but I would take him in in the top 10 easily and not hesitate about it.
1: Um, Now, I mean, this is for either of you gentlemen. We, we've all, we we know who the presumptive number one pick is Uh, going to be Lawrence, but I've seen different evaluations and mock drafts um, early mock drafts of the number two quarterback off the board in, in, in you guys' opinion, are you going Wilson? Are you going Fields?
3: Yeah. So.
0: Oh, good.
1: Go ahead.
3: Sorry. Uh, yeah. So, so for me, like it's Fields. Um, if you look statistically, his numbers are pretty much the same as Trevor Lawrence. They're very similar in almost every regard, and people won't tell you that, but I mean that's true. But obviously, there's more more to it than that, and uh, Lawrence has a lot more experience. But if you're talking about quarterback too, I'll take Fields. I think as far as like how NFL team like perceive it that most of them will probably have Wilson higher I think Wilson will go before fields and I could even see fields potentially dropping to the quarterback four but for me he's the quarterback two and then Wilson slots in is that quarterback three because I mean he has a lot of questions to answer like where was this before this year he wasn't exactly like breaking out before now so for for Zach Wilson I mean I still have questions to answer and then I think Trey Lance has some of the most upside in this class but I mean obviously he has such a small sample and the competition of he was playing against was pretty minimal. So there's gonna be a lot of questions to answer, but I mean, I think Washington is in play to trade up potentially for someone like Trey Lance. If, you know, if if you look at the Lions trading for trading away Stafford and maybe trading back Jimmy Garoppolo, or you look at the Panthers potentially trading for Watson or the jets trading for Watson, there's a lot of puzzle pieces that we still don't know, but there's the opportunity for one of those quarterbacks to fall. And I think if any one of them fall, Washington has to be aggressive about moving up because there's not going to be a quarterback like that in, after that. And there's probably not going to be a quarterback next year in the draft either. So far, the 2022 class is not looking great. I mean, obviously a lot of things can change, but I mean, I definitely think that's an option they need to be looking at.
0: I'll just echo fields. Uh, I I, I like fields more than Wilson.
2: That brings up a a follow-up question there. When, when you grade those guys, how do you make sure that you're not grading the helmet? We've heard that a lot this cycle with with fields and Ohio State quarterbacks. What what's the best way to to kind of get out of that mold of of judging and grading by the helmet?
0: Honestly, I think that's that's an issue that the guys that come from the NFL side have more because I don't think they're they you know they don't follow like. The game on a week-to-week basis and so like they come back in they they watch the film like in January or February and what it evokes for them when they're watching just fields like oh yeah I remember the last Ohio State quarterback I watched it was Dwayne Haskins you know and so like they bring that sort of stuff in I don't bring that stuff in Um, the offense at Ohio State was different with Justin Fields than it was with Dwayne Haskins it's comparing apples and oranges Um, Justin Fields he has some warts um, he, you know, there's a couple of things in there, um, that, that not, not necessarily that it introduces a bus profile, but some things that you are, um, sort of afraid of. Um, one thing is, is, um, one thing that I like is he's very, very for, for a dual threat kid, <clears throat> he's very methodical about going through his reads, very methodical about going through his progressions. He will go through them all. Um, if he has to, um, but the sort of downside is, is he will hold on to the ball longer. And what he's waiting for is he likes to throw two guys that are one-on-one. He does not like to throw into tight windows. He's got a great arm. Um, and this is probably something that was coached into him. This would be something to ask him. You know, it, it, it would be interesting to know. Um, but he avoided a lot doing the thing that Zach Wilson did all the time where Zach Wilson would throw those Yolo balls and, and just try to fit it into like keyholes, um, Justin Fields never does that. Um, and, and so because of this way that Justin Fields plays, you know, sometimes he took an extra sack. Um, he doesn't have as many, you know, tight window throws on his resume, um, but he also just has absurd accuracy numbers. Um, and if you look at his, you know, like his receiving distribution, he peppers the ball, you know, or his, um, you know, sort of heat zone, he peppers the ball all over the place. Um, because he's he's sitting back there and he's legitimately giving everyone a shot to get open. Um, th- that's just the kind of quarterback he is. So, but it, it you know he, what he's going to have to do more at the NFL level is he's going to have to. Um, it, it's not even. I think people are going to argue that he has to hurry up. I don't even think it's that. I think he is going to have to become more comfortable um, using his natural arm ability. Um, and testing certain, um, you know, tight window throws. He's go, he's just going to have to be more comfortable um, making certain of those. He's, he's going to have to do them because on some plays um, there might not be in the NFL, there might not be anything else that is available. And in college, he would just sit back there and he might take a sack or he might end up scrambling. But in the NFL, that that's what's not going to work for him. You, you, you can't just sit back there until – a one-on-one situation is open like you can at Ohio state. So if I was to point to one thing of his that slightly concerns me in the NFL, it's that, but if someone else was on, they'd be like, Oh, Dwayne Haskins busted and Ohio state court. It, it, it's just stupid. and It's lazy. Um, I don't have any time for that. Um, if you want to watch Justin Fields though, and talk about his game, like I'm all about that, but yeah, as, as far as the other stuff, it's easy for me. Cause I'm just watching them. I'm just watching them. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, as
3: adding a caveat to that, I would say like with scouting, uh, the whole goal for evaluations is to try to eliminate as much bias as I can. Right. That's why I use analytics. That's why I watch the film. Um, so, so it is, it's just lazy analysis. It's surface level analysis. If you look at the quarterbacks that have come out of Ohio state, not very many of them were highly touted. If you really think about it, some of them were great college players, but not a lot of them were five star quarterback prospects in high school. And then we're supposed to, supposed to be, you know, first round picks. A lot of them were, you know, dual threat athletes that happened to play quarterback. So, and that's one thing. The second thing is like when you talk about throwing with the anticipation. So, Dak Prescott, when he came into the league, he liked to throw to receivers that were open versus throwing receivers open. And, and that was something that was sort of a knock for him, but, you know, as he got more comfortable, as he developed and became a better pro, he started to throw more of those passes where he'd throw receivers open. So it's something you can learn. And obviously like, like, like Thor mentioned, like fields, he has the arm talent for that. He has the mental capacity to do something like that. So it's definitely something for me that's coachable.
1: Um, Nate with, you know, with the draft coming up, um, not fairly soon, but soon enough, uh, it has the potential to get real wonky in the first round, depending on where some of these quarterbacks land, the ones that's that's already in the NFL, and then, of course, the draft picks. Um, but I want to focus on receiver. Obviously, we know Devontae Smith, Jamar Chase, one and two. After that, Washington is in desperate need of a receiver. I know you have Bateman from out of Minnesota. You have... Uh, waddle from alabama you have uh, uh tony out of florida um i believe you have uh i can't remember his name um is it armani rogers so you, you have different receivers all different types of receivers what kind of receiver or which one of them receivers do you think washington should be focused on in in day two
3: yeah. So a lot of that's going to be driven by what happens in free agency, whether they can land one of those big dogs like Chris Godwin or Alan Robinson or Will Fuller, or, you know, any of those guys, I'm not sure that they'll land any of those guys just because like those, those guys get to pick the team they want to go to. You know what I mean? And I don't think they're going to be <laughs> running to go sign with WFT. I mean, maybe, maybe one of them will, maybe one of them won't, but if you're talking about going into the draft and not really having that position filled, uh, receivers got to be on the table for pick 19 uh, I've seen a lot of people uh, mocking Kadarius Tony at pick 19. Uh, I hate that pick. I think that's, I don't think he should go in the first round. I think maybe he could go in the end of the first round, but if you look at him, he's, he's a player who only has one year of production. He didn't do anything his junior year, his sophomore year, or his, or, you know, or, or his freshman year, even he didn't break out until he was 21 years old. So like, if you're going to draft a receiver in round one, who wasn't productive in college, I, I think that's kind of crazy. I mean, it's kind of scares me a little bit like Henry, Henry rugs, or yeah, he's a freak athlete. He's going to get drafted early, but I'm not so sure about him. And he also has off the field issues that we haven't even really discussed. But if I had to pick a receiver and I already know that Waddle Smith and chase are off the board, and I had to pick one at 19, I think my choice would probably be Rashad Bateman. I mean, he checks every box analytically. He checks the box on film. He broke out at an early age. He dominated targets. Uh, I mean, there's really not, to, not a lot to knock him on. He's not going to be a freak athlete. He's not going to run like a four, four or anything like that. But he reminds me a little bit of like someone like Keenan Allen. He's just, he's a technician as a route runner. And he was doing that at an early age. And you hear people always harping on breakout age, early age. You're like, what does that mean? Like the reason I like it is because when you're 18 years old, if you can go out there and dominate players that are 20, 21, you're dominating people that are older than you and you're still beating them. And that's something he's done his entire career. So, so I feel really confident in Rashad Bateman. I feel really and and if you're going further down the list, this is a really deep class. So after that, we're talking about day two. That that's where I'm real more interested in drafting receivers. But I mean, Rondell Moore, I, I I would take Rondell Moore above Kadarius Tony straight up. And I know that's like seems like a hot take or whatever, but. For me, he just checks every box. Rondell Moore is out of out of Purdue. He's kind of five nine. He reminds me of Steve Smith. Everyone compares him to Steve Smith, but he really does play like Steve Smith. This dude ran a 4 3 3, 4 three, three, and that was like back in high school, allegedly. You know, you, those numbers are always like a little inflated or anything. But when you really start going down the list, I mean, there's so many guys that check boxes, and you don't have to reach for a receiver with this depth, but they need an outside like X receiver. And they also need a slot receiver. And this draft is just full of both of those. You have like Amari Rogers that can play in the slot. You have Elijah Moore is another excellent, excellent player that pretty much checks every box as well. So there's, there's plenty of options. And there's a lot of guys at the senior bowl that stood out too. You have Dwayne Eskridge, who was projected to be maybe a day three pick. And coming into this, this is a small school guy who no one was really talking about. Uh, he's also like 23 years old. So he's a little older, but I mean, he dominated the senior bowl and now they're talking about him going potentially in, in day two, maybe even in the top 50. So uh, there's options out there for a receiver, but they have to address the position. This is a position for Washington where they haven't had depth in maybe like eight years.
1: Definitely.
2: well, Thor, I appreciate your time today. This was a whole lot of fun. Could have done it all day long. Nate, we appreciate you jumping on the show with us today, too. I'd uh, love to do it again sometime.
0: Absolutely. Thanks for having me, guys. Thank
2: you. Thanks, guys.
1: Yeah, have a good one.